Let's pray. Oh God, would you um, hear and answer our prayer tonight that we could see you, that we could see the face of Jesus, the wonderful face of Jesus. Would you allow, please God, through your power for the things of earth um, to grow strangely dim now as we see you, as we hear from you, as we um, honor you, as we worship you, as we love you, as we sing to you, as we pray to you, God. Just let, uh, for a moment, we pray, those things be pulled away. The, thing, the, the things we carried, the burdens that in just a moment might be back in our minds and back on the, the tips of our tongues, but, but now let us see you, God. We've, we've come here to worship. We're joining in this time with purpose and uh, intentionality because we know and express now that we need you. Jesus, 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 our Savior, our Lord, thank you, God, for meeting us now. We look to you, Jesus. We pray that you'd be our teacher tonight. We pray that you would be our, our helper. We pray that you would be our guide. And so we lift our hearts up to you, and we meet you in this place, spirit unto spirit. We are in need of miracles, God. We're in need of things that we can't do on our own. We're in need of power that uh, we can't just muster up. And so we, we uh, confess to you that we need uh, miracles in our lives, in our families, in our businesses, in our community, in our country, and in our world. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Do what only you can do. And now let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. I invite you to pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, it's so good to be with you. So good to worship with you. I uh, want to wish a special invitation to many folks that are joining us online for worship now. And for you guys in the room, it's great to see you and great to be, uh, be here at Providence with you. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been looking forward uh, to this moment uh, all week long. So it's great to be here. I did want to let you know uh, before we turn to our scripture that uh, we have our Easter services planned. Uh, we'll be having five services, two on Saturday. You can see the times there, and then three on Sunday. And we are just super excited about Easter this year. I don't know about you. Last year, Easter was in the parking lot, which is super cool. Uh, two years ago, Easter was... Let's not talk about it. <laughs> there was nobody in this room. So I'm saying all that to say, to know that we're going to be welcoming you back to 
do what the church is founded on, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and point people to that. There's nothing better. And so I just wanted to make sure you saw these as we are approaching uh, Easter weekend. So three things that I want you to do to help us um, and to help the church. And the first is I want you to begin thinking about and praying about who you'll invite to come on Easter. So we know we're a church that wants to reach disconnected people. And so we know that there are a couple times of year, and this is one of them, when people who don't normally go to church will go to church or think about going to church. But the main reason they would make such a step like that will be because you invite them. And so I want to uh, challenge you to pray about one person or a family or a neighbor that you can not only invite, but help get here on Easter. Uh, if you're here uh, in the room, we've got those invitation cards. You can begin praying over that. We want you to invite someone to Easter. The second thing I want to encourage you to do if you're a normal, regular attender is to join us on one of the times that is not 9.30 or 11 uh, on Easter Sunday. So one of the Saturday times or 8 o'clock. And we're just being open and honest saying we would love for some of you guys to just take that as a, as a missionary experience to come to one of those services. Every Easter and Christmas, we'll have one or two services well, we'll have a bunch of people show up, like over a thousand people, and that's not as great as it sounds, okay? Because we're not able to welcome people in the way that we would want. We have people not able to get in the parking lot or get in the lobby. So I'm just asking some of you to make go to a different time uh, so that we can make room for others. And then the third thing is we'd love for you to register your attendance at prob.church Easter. What that allows us to do is, again, just to kind of see where folks are coming and be able to welcome guests at every service. Because Easter is all about Jesus. It's all about getting the message of Jesus out to the world. And so those of us who, who know Jesus, we want to do our part in helping make a way, right, for that to be, uh, for him to be seen and him to be heard. So I wonder how many of us today would say, I need a miracle. I, yeah, I see hands raised. That's cool. I just, I just want you to think about if you're somebody here who would say, I need a miracle. And if so, I want to give you just a brief space to, in your heart, not out loud, I just want you to take a moment and in your heart to God or even just to yourself, just say, I need a miracle. So I just, just want to give you a moment in your heart to say, I need a miracle. We've been talking about how the book of John, which we're spending our whole year studying, is built upon, founded upon, sort of the pillars of John's gospel are seven miracles. John oftentimes calls them signs, but when he's talking about a sign, he's talking about a wonder, a miracle, something that could not happen outside of the power of God. The reason John calls them signs, I think, is because they are pointing to something else, pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards the resurrection. But we don't know that when we're in the midst of the story. We just know that God is getting our attention with a miracle to point us to something. So the first miracle we've talked about is water into wine. And it happens at a place called Cana of Galilee. I've got a little map for you uh, today, so I wanted you to see that. So you can see that Cana is up in the northern part of Israel. Cana of Galilee is where that first miracle happened. We've been walking through the story, and what happens is Jesus, after the miracle in Cana, he travels down to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now, almost all the Jews in Israel would be going to Jerusalem for that time, so he was making that same pilgrimage, and we've seen some of the wonderful and kind of wild things that happens when Jesus gets down south to Jerusalem. He turns over tables in the temple, sort of proclaiming his authority as someone that should be paid attention to. We get this amazing story of Jesus meeting with 
with a Pharisee, a teacher at night. His name was Nicodemus. And he tells Nicodemus, this old religious guy, you're gonna have to be born again. And it's in that moment that John writes his most famous line that's been told all over the world now for 2000 years, which is for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him doesn't have to die, but they can have eternal life. That happens when Jesus is down in Jerusalem. And then Jesus begins moving back up towards Galilee, that sea that you can see up there, because that's where he lives. That's where his friends are. That's where his companions hang out. So Jesus begins traveling back up from Jerusalem, and he stops in a place called Sychar, which you can see there in the middle. This is a region called Samaria. And most Jews would have not taken the, what looks to us, logical route of going straight up to through Sychar to Cana. They would have gone around Samaria because Jews don't associate with Samaritans. And Mark uh, shared with us last week this beautiful story of Jesus has taken a rest at a well there in Sychar and a woman shows up and Jesus has a conversation with her that sort of mirrors the conversation with Nicodemus. He tells her that he has living water for her, but it sounds a lot like the same promise he was given to the old religious guy, which is your life, your heart can come alive again. You can be born again. So Jesus stays there a couple of days, but look, he's heading back up to his region, back up to Cana. And that's where we pick up today in John chapter four. John chapter four, verse 43 says, after the two days, the two days in Samaria, he stayed there two days resting, getting his water. After the two days, he left for Galilee, going back up to the north. The next verse says, in parentheses, sort of, now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So Jesus wants us to know that his ministry in the Galilee area has been difficult, at least up until this point. Why? Because it's hard for people to believe if you're from a place that you could actually do something powerful. They know his parents. They know his aunts and uncles. They saw him grow up and go to school. So they, Jesus is trying to say, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for people to wrap their mind and their heart around who I am up here in Galilee. Yet, and yet, he goes up to that region. The next verse says, when he arrives in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So that's sort of the opposite of what Jesus has just sort of been saying. They don't really take to me all that much. So something has changed. Something has happened now that he's back in his home region that they are welcoming him. What happens? Well, it tells us. It says, they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there, right? I just told you, everybody goes there. It's just like last week in the panhandle of Florida. Everyone from Mount Juliet is there, right? So when you're down there around Destin, you look around like, I know that person. I know that person. That's what it would have been like in Jerusalem. All the Galileans would have been there. But when they were down there in Jerusalem, they saw what Jesus was doing, now, remember, the seven miracles in John are not the only miracles he works. They're just the miracles that John is telling us about because he wants to point us to something very important. He tells us at the end of the story, Jesus worked a bunch more miracles. I just only had time to tell you about these. So if we go back to John chapter 2 to see what was happening in Jerusalem, so we're skipping back from 4 to 2 just for a moment. It says, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs saw the miracles he was performing and believed in his name. Who were those people? Some of his countrymen, some of the folks from the region of Galilee saw what Jesus was doing. They couldn't believe it. So when they all get back up to Galilee, Jesus took his two days off in Samaria. And when they get back up there, they're like, my goodness, I want to welcome you, Jesus, because we saw you turn over the tables and the teachers have to scratch their heads and ask who you were. We saw these miracles you were doing in the temple courts that we'd never seen anyone do before. And so the next verse says, once more, he visited where? Cana 
in Galilee, where, in case we forgot, he had turned the water into wine. Jesus goes right back to the place of his first noted miracle. And when he gets there, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. So back to our map, we're gonna zoom in just a bit. You can see Cana there. And then if you look just a little bit over to, um, I don't know what direction that is, to the east, uh, you can see Capernaum, okay? So we now have the stage set for Jesus' second miracle. He's back in Cana where everybody knows Jesus has the power to do miraculous things. And this man, this royal official, has come all the way from Capernaum. You can see it's not too far. It's actually about 16 miles. He has traveled 16 miles by foot, this royal official, to beg Jesus to heal his son. Listen to what it says. It says, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, that's the southern region where Jerusalem is, when he heard that he was back, he went to him 16 miles and he begged him to come to Capernaum and heal his son who was about to die. So when the man, the royal man, hear about him, the official man, the privileged man, the honored man, when he heard that Jesus was only 16 miles away, he walked all the way over there, fell at his feet, and begged him to come back to his town, which was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, because he had heard Jesus could do miracles. Who among us would not do the same exact thing? I know you guys. I, I know you. I see how you live. I see how you love your kids. I see how you love your grandkids. Who among us, if we only had to walk 16 miles to save our child, would do it? I know that so many of you, when five minutes ago or eight minutes ago, whenever it was, <laughs> when I said, do you need a miracle? And you said, I need a miracle. I know that so many of you, when you said that, you were holding your child in your heart that the miracle was somehow connected to someone who's smaller, who's vulnerable, who has been put in your care. And when it comes to our children, our royalty, our prestige, our riches mean nothing. Any of us would fall at the feet of a miracle worker and beg them to take a fever away from our child. And that's what the royal official from Capernaum did. He said, will you work a miracle for me. And Jesus says, classic Jesus answer, unless, he's asked him a very direct question about his own child, and he says, unless you people see miracles and wonders, you'll never believe. Jesus is trying to remind us what we've been sharing all throughout this, this series is that um, all the miracles are pointing to something more. They're really pointing for us to see who Jesus is. They're really trying to get us to a place of belief. But listen to what the royal official says when Jesus gives this theological answer. The royal official says, Sir, come down before my child dies. I love this line. I love this line. Because you see what he's saying, right? He's saying to Jesus, I get that you have a bigger purpose. It's like, I get it. You turned over the tables. He, I mean, he's saying, I, I get that this is about us believing in you. The whole book of John is so that we might believe that Jesus is the son of God and the Messiah. 
I mean, the, the royal official is saying, like, I get, I understand, you know, what, what you're saying here, but he's saying, Rabbi, my son is dying, and I can't think of anything else right now. Will you please get to Capernaum and save my son? He's saying to him, I need a miracle, man. And we understand that, right? That when our children are facing things, we know we're supposed to be thinking about a bunch of other stuff, but it's right here on the front of our minds and right here in our heart. And that's what the royal official guy was saying, a guy who had servants, a guy who had riches. He's just saying, will you please go to Capernaum and save my son? And here's what Jesus says. He says to the man, go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. So try to picture it, okay? I know we got all kinds of things rattling in our mind as we talk about kids and miracles and all that. The man says, Jesus, will you come with me to Capernaum? And Jesus says, I will not go with you to Capernaum, but you go and your son will live. And so the man took Jesus at his word and started walking. This is really important. The man took Jesus at his word and started walking. No miracle, no Jesus, just him walking because Jesus said to walk. Now, what Jesus is doing here, uh, and you're going to hear him say more things like this. He's saying, like, you guys need miracles to believe. Um, but he says, you know, there's coming a day. He's going to tell the disciples later, you guys saw all kinds of things you believe, but he says, blessed are the ones who won't be able to see it and yet believe. What Jesus is doing is moving us to a place where our belief is based on his word, not on what we see. It's really important. He's moving all the progression of the miracles is we're seeing that Jesus is trying to move us to a place where we will begin to walk in obedience to what he has said, not to what we have seen. So go back to the story. Uh, we're going to go back to the story just very briefly, the, the story before this miracle. Last week, Pastor Mark showed us the story between the miracles. The Samaritan woman, so see if you can relate to this. The Samaritan woman did not need a physical miracle. She needed her heart to be healed. She needed her sins forgiven. She needed her relationships affected. She needed her shame washed away. And so she believed, look at the verse. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why did they believe? Because of what the woman told them, because of the woman's testimony about Jesus. But why did she believe? Because she says, he has told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritans believed because of the woman's testimony. Her words about Jesus, no physical miracle in this story, but she believed because of what Jesus said to her. The Samaritan woman took Jesus at his word and believed, and her testimony to the people of Samaria, who would have had nothing to do with a Jew, began to lead to salvation to a bunch of people who began to believe, and the only reason they were believing is because of what Jesus said. So back to our story in chapter four. The man starts walking home. His steps are steps of faith. Right? His steps are steps of faith because he's walking in obedience to what Jesus has told him to do. He did not get his way. He did not get what he came for. He did not throw his weight around. He did not use his royal position for privilege. He is not ushering Jesus back by the arm to Capernaum to his son's sick bed. He is a beggar who fell before Jesus, and now he's walking away alone, but he's walking in faith because that's what Jesus told him to do. And it says, while he was still 
on the way. You're gonna have to say it with me, okay? While he was still on the way. We need it one more time, okay, say it. While he was still on the way. And I'll read the rest. It says, his servants met him with the news that his boy was alive while he was still on the way. At some point, when the man starts walking from Cana to Capernaum, at some point, back in Capernaum, 16 miles away, the servants start walking towards him. That road is still there. We don't know exactly where they met, but somewhere they came to this place and they met, he looks and he sees his servants walking towards him as he's walking. And they tell him, your son has been healed. What is the father's first question? This is great. What is the faithful father's first question when they see him? They say, Master, your son is alive. You know what he asks? He says, when? You see what's happening? There's belief that's growing. He says, when? When did the boy come alive? When did the fever leave? When was he healed? What time did it happen? Look at the scripture. It says, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, they knew exactly, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he and his whole household in that moment believed. When he asked, they thought back, uh, 1 p.m., sir. And the father says, that's the, that's the exact time that I was on my knees before Jesus. That was the exact time that Jesus told me to start walking this way. I don't know why he did it, but somewhere in the midst of this moment in this counter with Jesus, the man looked up at the sky to see where the sun was moving across the sky. Or he heard the church bells ringing to signify what time it was. Or he looked at his watch that didn't exist. Something, he did something in that moment that marked the encounter with Jesus and the words that Jesus was giving them. He marked the time in his heart so that when he heard later something that happened at the same time, he said, wait a second, I know what has been happening and what has been working in that moment. And friends, we have to start writing down the times that we encounter Jesus. We need to start carrying journals around. We need to get acquainted with a notes app in your iPhone. And when you encounter Jesus, when you, when you beg of him, when you fall at his feet, when there's something that you need, when you desire a miracle, you need to write it down. You need to write down the time. If nothing else, write it down in your heart and say, I just spent time with the Lord. I was begging for my child. Write it down and say, and I know that some hour, someday, I can't exactly know when it was. I will look back at this moment and I will give glory to Jesus. I don't know exactly what will happen. I don't know exactly how he's working. I don't know exactly how he can do something 16 miles away, but I'm writing this time down in faith that I can look back on it. And then when I speak of it, it will lead more to my belief and the belief of my family and the belief of those around me. The royal official walked in faith and obedience while the miracle was still on the way. There are some miracles that are still on the way. We have not seen them yet. And we have to walk in faith and obedience while it's still on the way. And he marked the time. 
for the purpose of giving glory to Jesus. He marked the time. I've told some of you have been with me a long time. Some of you are new. I've told you many times when I was a young pastor, I had this young boy who I was working with. I was a youth pastor. He was 13 years old. His name's Clayton. And I loved Clayton. I knew that he was in trouble. I was trying to figure out all that was going on. And I told you, I'm not going to tell those story. Many of you heard it, but I was the last person that Clayton talked to before he committed suicide at the age of 13. He literally walked out the front door of my house into my neighborhood and took his own life. And it crushed me. It crushed me. It felt like it squeezed all the faith out of me. And I remember crying in my mother's lap in my living room. I was a grown man and telling her how bad I'd messed up and how much I'd missed it. I remember flying out to Arizona trying to run from my pain and my suffering and shaking my fist at God. And I said to God, I told him, if you ever wanted to use me, you can't do it now. I told him why I was disqualified. And then a long story that I won't go into, but I began to fall back at Jesus' feet and ask him to help me because I could not get the physical miracle that I wanted in this life. That was Clayton back, but I could ask him to make me be born again. I could ask him to heal my heart and help me come back alive. And it's a long story, but Jesus kept me moving, kept me walking, kept me going while the miracle was still on the way. And then a year later, I found myself holding this little baby girl in my hands. My first daughter, her name's Mary Armstrong. And it hit me as I'm holding Mary that it was February the 23rd. That was her birthday. That is her birthday. It's also the same exact day that Clayton died a year before. And I count that timing to not be accidental in my life for my story and for my belief that when I was facing my darkest moment, God marked the time to bring a miracle in my life. And I thought, what I was telling God is, you could never entrust another young person to me. And he put a baby in my arms. And I can't make this up. I gotta tell you this. While I was writing this, it was Tuesday morning, I was typing on my computer. When I was writing that exact sentence, I got a text from Mary. And she sent me this picture. It was no words. She just sent me this picture. <laughs> and I wanna tell you that I, I believe in miracles. And this baby that God entrusted to me, I'm now seeing grow in beautiful ways. At the exact time that I was writing that sentence, her picture reminded me of the exact time of her birth, which happened to be a memory of the exact time of my darkest moment. Back in November, uh, one of our beloved church members died. Her name was Gracie. She was super special to our congregation. I would maybe even say she was a favorite. And so many stories of Gracie are how she loved us and pointed us to Christ. This is Gracie at her baptism in 2020. That's right, a baptism in 2020. In one of our darkest moments, she was confessing her faith and professing a belief in something more. You need to know Gracie loved the Wizard of Oz. And she was Dorothy for Halloween, was it Roxanne? Four years in a row, her mom's here with us. She especially loved the music of The Wizard of Oz and especially Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And the family played that song for Gracie in her last days. One of the wonderful staff persons at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital made this beautiful song with Gracie's heartbeat to the tune of Somewhere Over the Rainbow. 
And they listened to it on the day uh, of her passing. And in the minutes after Gracie passed away, all over Nashville, a rainbow spread across the sky. One of our church members sent me this picture that afternoon. I was actually in here. We were preparing for a Thursday night service. I texted her back immediately, and I said, when did you take this picture? Like, when? And she said, right now. It's right now. At just the moment that Gracie had passed away, the Lord put a sign of a rainbow over her church at the exact time. Now, understand, I have intentionally just told two stories of two children who I loved dearly who passed away, where the miracle that I would have desired did not happen. So I want to make sure that we aren't in a place where we think we can manipulate everything to happen just the way we want. That's not what the Jesus story promises. Here's what it promises. It promises that he is bringing a miracle one day that we all need. And right now, what we're called to do is walk in faith and obedience towards Capernaum. I'm sharing that to say we need to mark some times down right now, some things that we're praying for, some things that we're begging of Jesus, because the miracle is still on the way. And when you mark it down, when the time comes, what you are able to say, what you're able to testify of is our God is faithful. Our God is good. Our God is saving us. Okay, I want you to see the map one more time, all right? Most of us, we're just a few steps from Cana, right? We're just stepping out on faith and going. But here's what you need to understand. So my, by my calculations, Cana and Capernaum are about 16 miles away. And so at the exact time that the man was in Cana and he's walking back to where Jesus told him to go, back towards his sick son, at the exact time back in Capernaum, his family and servants are celebrating the miracle that they prayed for and they're starting to walk this way. And so we don't know where they met, you know, like I don't know what speed they're moving on, you know, two trains leave somewhere at the same time, you know, it's like kind of how all that works. But, but I have to imagine that the man was walking at a brisk pace. God, Jesus is, if you're going to go, you might as well go, right? And Jesus just said, go, your son will live. So I have to imagine he was probably walking at a pretty fast pace, but could his pace have matched the servants? I don't know. I have to imagine they were probably moving pretty fast too, you know? Can you imagine getting to see, tell your master that what, he's been, what he had left for has just happened? So you got two sides. On one side, you've got this person who cannot see the miracle, who's walking alone, only in faith and obedience. And he's going, he's just by himself. He's going to where he was told to go. But on the other side, you literally have a miracle that God has orchestrated in the way God wanted in God's time through the power of Jesus. And it's moving towards the one who's walking in faith. And so what happens is somewhere in the middle, there is a convergence of the one who has faith and obedience, who's believing that God can do what God said he was do, even though they can't see it. And coming this way is God's promise, what God is going to do. And in that moment, in that convergence, is this thing that happens in the heart of one who experiences, and it is called belief. It's called belief in God when that happens. And that's what the whole story is about. So that we would believe Jesus is the son of God. He is the Messiah. And that is the miracle that gives me hope in the face of Clayton's death. And that is the reason 
that I would testify of a rainbow over a church building, not because I'm a fool, but because I believe in the promise of eternal life that Gracie now knows. Because of what happens in Jesus in the cross and the resurrection is why we can stand in faith, not because of any physical miracle that we've seen or not seen. It's because of what Jesus has done. That's when the man says, my son has a fever, he's dying. He says, oh man, y'all aren't gonna believe me unless you see the miracle. And so today, if you say, I need a miracle, I just want you to change your statement, if only for this moment, and just say in your heart, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And then as we uh, confess our need for Jesus, we'll start walking towards the good thing that God is bringing towards us right now. We can't see it. You may not be able to see it right now, but it's a promise. And so we walk in faith and obedience together. So let us pray. Lord, we need you. We need a miracle. We've experienced great loss. We have confusion. We don't always understand how you work. And yet we are still going to keep moving towards the way that you are making, towards the miracle that you are doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name.